You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I'm Jessica. I'm Pastor Greg's other half. I'm excited to share with you guys today. I'm, I'm not always in Messina, so I always like when I get to be here. Um, we're doing a lot in Augensburg, serve, you know, um, with next steps there sometimes. Also serve with kids ministry sometimes in Augensburg. So, um, yeah, I'm there a lot. But how many guys have been to Augensburg uh, Church? Yeah. Everyone's like, I've been to Augensburg. <laughs> um, if you haven't, go one Sunday. I know just last week I ran into a couple people that they just said, you know what? I slept in and I went to Augensburg Church because we don't start till 11. So if you happen to sleep in one day and you think, dang, I miss church, <laughs> Roxanne goes, that was us. <laughs> um you can just drive up to Augensburg, you know, especially if you maybe don't live right in Messina, it might not even be as far away. So just a thought, would love to have you guys there. God's doing awesome stuff in Augensburg. I know I always talk about it, but it's like kind of, you know, when you first have a baby and you're like, everybody look at my baby. They're so cute. Look at, look at, look at, they just smiled. That's what I feel like <laughs> about all the people in Augensburg because God's just, uh, you know, doing so many beautiful things there. Um, so I want to talk to you guys today about, I know Greg shared about the idea of idols a couple weeks before that, maybe a month ago, I shared about the idol of control. Um, but today I want to talk to you guys about another idol, because we're kind of doing this series. And the title of your, if you have your notes, you know, your title of your notes, it says the idol of comfort. How many of you guys are like me that after you get home from work or from a long day, the first thing you want to do is what? Put on your pajamas. <laughs> Debbie understands. Does anybody else understand? Right? You know you have like that favorite pair of sweatpants. Maybe they're not like footy pajamas. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they are. But the favorite pair of sweatpants or the hoodie. You know, I have this hoodie that I've been wearing for like 15 years. And my husband's always like, isn't that like from college, I'm like, shh, I'm still young, you know, like, but it's just so comfy, right? There's something about being comfortable, and I'll tell you what, that this week, there is an extra added bonus, if you didn't know, Kenebs just opened, anybody know Kenebs, yes, we praise Jesus and Kenebs, right? Um, Kenebs is, they make apple cider donuts, they're amazing, and so there's nothing more comfortable to me than wearing my warm, fuzzy clothes, you know, it starts to get a little bit cooler out, having a cup of coffee, and then having one of the Kenev's donuts right off the press, right, when they're still warm. Oh, okay, so I just had them yesterday, so that's why they're on my mind. But there's something about us, right, that likes to be comfortable. But God doesn't always want us to be comfortable, right? It's, it's good to enjoy those simple pleasures like the Kenev's donut, but we can live in a place of a lifestyle of being comfortable, and we miss all the things that God has for us, right? So let me tell you guys a quick story. Just the other day, it was Friday. If Jeremiah's in here, he's going to be like, no, Mom, you're talking about me again. So he had to go to a sports physical. So I, you know, drove him to Canton because he missed the one in Messina because he was at Cape Cod for camp. And we go to Canton or, you know, just getting his height, and they tell him he's 5'8". And I'm like, oh, wait, you're what? He's, he, the nurse says, oh, he's 5'8". And I realize he's taller than me. <laughs> We've had this competition, you know, our whole, his whole life. <laughs> 
And now I realize he's taller than me. And he's going to probably continue to be taller than me, you know, right? Because our bodies grow until they say about the age 21. So I think that's your first blank if you want to fill it in. Here's a little bit of science for you. Around the age of 21-ish, depending on, you know, when you hit puberty and all this stuff, your bodies, your skeleton stops growing, height-wise at least. <laughs> Sometimes we start growing a different way, but that's a different story. Okay, so 21 is the first blank. So your hum the human brain reaches maturity around the age of 24 years old. Did you know that? So back maybe, I think it was the year Josh and Jenna White graduated from high school. I maybe it wasn't that year, but it was at a Brazier graduation. The principal gave a speech, and it was just the funniest thing because she basically told all of the graduating seniors, it's okay if you make really impulsive decisions because your brain's not fully developed yet. And I swear, every parent in the crowd was like, boo! <laughs> like, well, they don't need to be encouraged to make more impulsive, rash decisions. She's like, well, because your prefrontal cortex isn't actually fully developed, so it's not your fault. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Someone get the lady off the stage. I'm going to get up there and be like, make good decisions. <laughs> so 24 years old for your brain. But what about our spirits, right? Because we know that every person is a body a mind, and a spirit, right? So what about our spirits? Do we have a age where we stop maturing and growing in our spirits? This is the cool thing about God, right? We don't. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like my spiritual self can keep growing and growing and growing and growing. There's never this point where they're like, okay, you've arrived. You're good now. You're officially a mature Christian. We're going to give you a little, like, certificate if, like, if you get baptized. And you just know everything now. And you just have, you just understand God in all of his ways. No. It, it never, we can never stop. As, I mean, it's only us that can stop it, really. So I want to share with you guys a real quick verse. We're going to get into a Bible story. But I want to show you Isaiah 6, chapter 1. So Isaiah was a prophet. And he, you know, prophets usually had to come to speak to the Israelites and the Jewish people when they were being stubborn and they weren't listening to God, right, <laughs> themselves. So God would always send a prophet, and sometimes it was with a hard word. So Isaiah 6, 1, um, and we're actually going to read from Isaiah later too. So Isaiah 6, 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So first of all, I really like this picture. He didn't say he saw the Lord's face. He said that he saw the Lord's throne room, right? He saw his feet. He saw the train of his robe. If you guys were at the last worship night we had, I think Kristen Laramie was sharing about how whenever she sees a picture of God, she sees him on a throne and she sees his feet and his legs. And I just was like, she's seeing the same thing that, you know, Isaiah saw. Pretty cool. Anyway, so he sees this picture of God on the throne, right, in the heavenly places. And he sees this robe or this train of his robe, right? So, you know, like when you get, someone gets married, a lot of times the wedding dress has a train, right? So in <clears throat> Old Testament times, basically a king had a train on his robe because it was super hard. And if you've gotten married and wore one of those dresses, it's super hard to do anything with it, right? You're like, uh, and it's getting stuck on everything. My, I got married in the grass, and it was getting all grass stained, and it was, like, hitting people on the way, and I was just like. But a king did it because it was kind of this royalty, this authority of saying, I don't have to work. 
I'm so well off that I don't have to work and I don't have to move easily because there's nothing that I have to do because I'm so important. But not just that, the king also wore a robe because anytime a king conquered another kingdom or another territory, they would take a piece of that cloth from the robe of the king they conquered and they would add it to the robe of the king who won. And so that symbol, that kind of symbolism that we see is that God is seated on the throne. He has all authority, all glory, right? All honor. So the reason why you might be thinking, well, why are we talking about this when we're talking about comfort, you know? Because I want you to see that when, when Isaiah saw this vision, it, that the word that says the, the robe of his, I'm going to read it again. The train of his robe filled the temple actually is translated, it keeps filling the temple. So it's not just like, oh, he has a really long train. It keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And you're like, when is that going to end? It doesn't. That's the glory of God. That's how we, we, there's no end to his glory. There's no end to the knowledge of God. There's no end to the love of God, right? Think about that verse. How wide, how deep is the love of God? Who can comprehend it? There's literally no end. So if that's the case, then there's no end to me growing in God. I can never know enough. I can never experience enough of his glory. I can never understand enough of his love because it keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. Isn't that crazy and beautiful and amazing? I just love that, okay? So I think there might be a blank there. So what about our spirits? They have unlimited capacity. Okay, so the blank there is unlimited. So quick question for you. When we're talking about growing versus being comfortable. How many of you guys really like stretch marks? And all the guys are sitting there, oh, no, a woman's preaching. She's talking about stretch marks. Okay. Anybody like them? No, right? Like, no, it's not fun, right? If you've had a baby, you know all about it, right? I have a friend that just told me, I was trying to get rid of my stretch marks, so I got one of those, like, Zoom tans, like the spray tan things, and now I look like a tiger. <laughs> Did not work. I don't know why. It just doesn't work with that part of your skin. So <laughs> nobody here likes stretch marks, but do you realize that your spirit is supposed to have stretch marks on it? It's the one place you want them because God wants to keep growing your capacity and growing your knowledge and your wisdom and growing your influence. It's the one place we want to have them. Um, why? Because growth is found in the stretch, right? So if you're going to have a baby, the only way you can carry the thing that God's given you is if you grow and your body stretches. It's the same thing in our spirits. The only way you're ever going to carry the things that God wants to give you is if you're willing to be stretched, right? I mean, anybody likes stretching? Like anybody in gym class I always or basketball practice, I always hated like, Okay, it's time for practice. Let's let's stretch. I'm just like, why? This is so pointless. This is a waste of time. But we need that stretching to be able to do what God has called us to do. Um, so I, I heard this question uh, a couple years ago. I kind of thought about this. God was challenging me. And the thought was this. When is the last time somebody's seen you and they looked at you and said, wow. You've grown in God so much, I barely can recognize you. Anybody ever said that to you? 
we want that, right? I think of, I don't think he's here today. I think he's in Augensburg. But a lot of you guys know Mason Donnelly. He's a young adult here in our church. He did momentum this past year. He's doing momentum again this year. And I'll tell you what, in a year's time, I've never seen somebody grow in their faith like him. One year's time, I believe God did something in him that it takes most of us 20 years. Or actually, we don't ever get there. Why? What's the difference? Like, is he more special than somebody else sitting in this room? Absolutely not. But he was willing to be stretched. We don't like it, so we avoid it. And when we avoid it, we actually limit what God can do in and through us. So, sorry, I'm slow here. I've got a cool quote for you. I think it might be on your notes, so you can read along if you want. Francis Chan, if you guys don't know him, great book to read, Crazy Love. Super, like, going to push you out of your comfort zone. You want to be stretched and you want to maybe follow up this sermon. Order that book, Crazy Love. So God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we're unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we'll be in trouble if he doesn't come through. You ever done that before? You ever like, oh, okay, God, if you want me to do this, here we go. And then there's no turning back once you say, here you go. It's super scary. Like God tez says, okay, you need to quit your job. I've got something else for you. You quit your job, and then you're like, um, okay, God, any day now, right? Anybody ever done that before or something like that? It's super scary. But that is the stretch. That's believing God's calling me to do something before I see how it's all going to work out, right? So if you guys want to turn, if you're already in Isaiah, we're going to actually flip over to Isaiah 54. I just want to share with you before I read from this, the scriptures, <clears throat> I want to share with you a little bit what's happening here. So the Israelites, the Jewish people, they get basically the Babylonian king comes in and destroys the temple in Jerusalem. So, I mean, literally like brick by brick, the walls, the temple is destroyed. Um, the whole city is basically destroyed and the Babylonians come in and in three different times they take a max mass exodus of people and they lead them back to captivity basically they become slaves for the babylonians they they roughly estimate nobody knows how many jewish people went to babylon but they estimate like i mean hundreds of thousands i read a couple commentaries that said they think like 500,000 um, Israelites. So there were some people that were left, but they were the poorest of the poor. The only people that they didn't take captive were some of the very, very poor people, and they were allowed to stay in Israel. So imagine this mass exodus of people. They're held captive by the Babylonians for 70 years, okay? 70 years this goes on. And at that time, the Persian Empire overthrows the Babylonians, okay? So then the Persian king, his name is King Cyrus, and he doesn't want the Jewish people to be captive anymore. He says to them, he, he issues this decree, and he says, you guys can all return back to your homeland. Return back to Jerusalem. I give you permission. You can even rebuild the temple that was destroyed. So it's this, it should be this huge, like, wow, this is amazing. We have been, you know, we're free. Guess what? Of those hundreds of thousands, thousands of Jewish people that were in captivity, guess how many of them actually went back? They they're estimate like 50,000 people went back. 
all of the rest of them stayed in captivity. How crazy is that? Isn't that weird to think about? Like, they had lost everything. But you have to think about 70 years, there's some, like, their kids didn't know anything different than Babylon, right? But how? I mean, you know, you get to go back to your homeland. You get to be, be rebuild the temple. You get to worship God again. But the reason why is because you can grow comfortable anywhere you are, even in the enemy's camp, if you stay there long enough. I'm going to repeat that again. You can grow comfortable anywhere you are, even in the enemy's camp, if you stay there long enough. Because it's not about comfortable like Kneb's donut, fuzzy blanket, warm fire comfortable. It's about familiar. Right? So there's this thing in our humanness, in our flesh, that loves things that are familiar. We love routine. We sit in the same seat every Sunday, right? Like there's something in us that just wants the same. That we could forfeit the inheritance God has for us because we just like that familiar feeling, right? Gosh, I don't want that to be me, right? So I'm going to read you guys um, Isaiah 54, verse 1. So because of this, because the Jewish people are kind of just staying put instead of returning back to their homeland, God you know, tells Isaiah, you need to give them this word. And this is the word that Isaiah brings to the people. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of he who has a husband, says the Lord. So he's comparing the Israelite people to like a woman who's going to be pregnant, right? Like you're going to have so many kids, kind of like that whole thing of Abraham. You look at the stars in the sky, you're going to have more descendants than this, okay? And then verse 2, this is where we're going to camp for a little bit. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide. I love this part. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. The reason why God's using this analogy of a tent is because as exiles, the Israelite people, they've been living in tents, okay? That is their home. Like, they don't have homes in the sense of what they had back in Israel, you know, they just are living kind of as these nomads people in exile. And so he's using that analogy because they're all too familiar with it. But he's saying, you need to stretch your tent pegs out, right? You need to strengthen the stakes, lengthen the cords. <clears throat> um, so when you talk about lengthening the cords, so this is a message for us too, right? So what that means is God wants to expand your capacity, Right? He wants to expand what he wants to do in you. He wants to expand how he uses you. He wants to expand your influence. That's what lengthening the cords means. But strengthening the stakes, I mean, if you've ever put up a tent before, if those stakes aren't deep in the ground, and if they're the cheap plastic one from Walmart that snaps in half, anybody ever had that? They don't hold very well, right? So strengthening the stakes represents deepening our relationship with God, right? Because if you don't know God intimately, you won't be able to withstand the stretch, right? That's why we need to strengthen our relationship with him, strengthening the stakes. So many of us spend our lives sitting in the enemy's camp rather than claiming our inheritance, right? So you think about all of those 
50,000 people that went, but all of the other Israelites that stayed. They all had the same promise. God declared the same word to every one of them. They all heard it, and most of them just walked away and said, it's not too bad here. <laughs> oh, God, help us, right? So I want to share with you guys a little funny uh, story. I, I've never tried this because I'm not a big fan of bugs, but I am told that if you put a flea in a glass jar, I've been trying to catch fruit flies. Anybody have fruit flies right now? Like, I don't know if it's just me or that I had banana bread or what. But um, but if you put a flea in a glass jar, and you put a lid on it, poke some holes so he can still breathe or something, um, not too big because fleas are so small, <laughs> um, that he'll jump, you know, and try to get out. But if you wait a couple days and you take that lid off, he'll never get out because he'll only jump as high as the lid was. And so he'll stay in there and eventually die even though there's no lid on that glass jar anymore. And I think sometimes that's us, right? We get comfortable where we are in life and we think, well, this is, this is good enough. Babylon's good enough. This jar's not too bad. I'll just watch Netflix while I'm in the jar. It'll be fine. Right? But God's like, the lid is off. Hello? You can leave now. Go. Go back, do more, get out of, at least get out of the dang jar. Nope. That's what we do though, right? So I'm, I'm going to flip over to the New Testament real quick, and we're going to share a story in the New Testament. So it's Luke 8. You guys, some of you, if, if you've been in church long, you're pretty familiar with this story. This is one of my favorite stories. It's the, Luke 8, verse 42. It's the woman with the issue of blood, Okay. So I'm just going to read it real quick, and then I just want to talk a little bit more about this because I just think this is just such a beautiful picture of what God calls us to do, how to reach out of our comfort zone, right? So verse 42. <clears throat> Actually, I don't know if I'm in the right part. <clears throat> yeah, okay, sorry. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Okay, so picture Jesus. He's trying to go to somebody else's house. And um, he's walking through these crowds, and it's kind of like the paparazzi, right? They're all, like, mobbing him. They're touching him. They're asking him questions. He can't break through the crowd. You know, the disciples are worried about his safety. And it says, and a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus, and she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And this is the part I love. Jesus asked, who touched me? The disciples are like, like thousands of people, Jesus. <laughs> He's like, no, who touched me? He said, but Jesus said, someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, became trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you go in peace. I just love that story. And do you know why I love that story? Because to me, it illustrates that faith isn't a stagnant belief in God or his power. Like, I believe God could do it. Faith is the stretch. 
just imagine that woman, you know, she's probably in all this pain. She's not even supposed to be, I mean, one of the things when women have an issue with blood, they can't, they're not even supposed to be in a village. They're not supposed to be around anybody. They're supposed to kind of like treat it as this outcast. She had to live out of the town, away from her family for 12 years. And she says, I don't care. I don't care what they say I have to do. I know that Jesus is walking by, and I don't care that I'm not supposed to be around people. I'm going to press through all of the crowds, and I'm going to reach when everybody else is reaching too. But it's a different kind of stretch, isn't it? It's not like, hey, Jesus, hey, 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 Jesus, I have a question. Hey, Jesus, can you answer me? Hey, Jesus, it's a stretch of faith that says, I know if I just reach out and touch him, not even his body, it's his garment, his it's not a dress. <laughs> that was toga. <laughs> We're going back to Greek. That's not right. Anyway, all, he, all she had to do was touch his clothing. And she knew that she would get healed. Like, isn't that just such a beautiful thought? Jesus' robe didn't heal her, right? If that was true, everybody that was touching him would have been healed. It was the stretch that healed her. And there's something about that thought. Faith is so much more than I believe God could do this. I actually don't even think that's faith. Faith is, I am halfway doing it already because I believe God's going to meet me on the other side. There's a stretch there. Stretch stretches your mind. It stretches your life. It stretches everything. And in that stretch, Jesus shows up problem is you think, well, I've never experienced that before. You've never tried. We keep waiting for him to show up, then we will stretch, and he's waiting for us to stretch so he can show up. What are we doing? Guys, you know, so I got to tell you this story. Talk about being comfortable. I wasn't even going to share this, but you can get comfortable anywhere, right? If you stay there long enough. My son Isaac, a couple years ago, was convinced that he could he could be mailed in a box to his Uncle Tim's in Ohio. Convinced. Just po poke a couple holes. It was not even a big box. It was one of those tall, skinny boxes. So, like, super small space at the bottom and, like, really tall top. I don't remember what came in it. Something. And uh, so he... You know, he uh, put his blanket in there. He got five boxes of raisins. He got um, water. He got some snacks. He made some holes so he could breathe. He drew all over it. And he sat in that box for three days. He tried to sleep and, like, sleep, sleep in that box at night. And I had to yank him out of there. And I'm like, you're crazy. But we can get comfortable anywhere if we stay there long enough. Some of us have become so familiar in places that we don't ever step out of them. Some of you guys have been in a job you hate for far too long. Now, it's not just about like, oh, well, we have to have these amazing jobs that are so wonderful. And No, you have to provide for your family. Of course, I'm not saying don't provide for your family. But man, do not settle in a job you hate if God has put something on your heart and you're just too afraid to do it, he can't show up if you don't stretch. Some of you guys have been in relationships with people who treat you so terrible, but it's not that you're comfortable, you're familiar. 
and you can't imagine your life any other way, but you are withstanding abuse and neglect and the things that people say to you, and you just say, well, this is just the way my life is supposed to be, I guess. Listen to me. God has more for your life. Do not let that spirit of familiarity keep you in the glass jar or in the dang cardboard box. Because this is the thing. The thing about that analogy about the flea, you're like, you might think, well, you know, I'm just one person. So I'm still going to go to heaven one day. So even if I don't reach what God's called for me and my potential and I don't stretch out in faith, like I'll die one day, I'll go to heaven and my family, you know, they love Jesus too. So we'll all be fine. I want to challenge you. You're not a flea in a jar. You, everything in our lives is interconnected. I'm going to fall off the stage. Okay, that was close. This is dangerous. Everything in our lives is interconnected. Every relationship is interconnected. So you realize it's not just about you and what God has for you. It's about what God has for your kids. Do you know how many people have told me, man, I went through that whole season where I just kind of got mad at God, and now my kids don't follow him? And they don't have any Christian friends. It's not about you. Do you know how many people have said, well, you know, I, you know, I, had, I went, it was in this funk and all of these things. And, you know, it doesn't really matter because I'm going to get out of the funk. But guess what? There's a, hundreds and hundreds of people that you're supposed to touch that won't know Jesus if you don't get out of the funk. You guys, I don't even know how to describe this to you. Just the other week when we had water baptisms, I was here in Messina. We had them in Augensburg, too. There were several families there that we connected with, me and my husband connected with, back 10, 12 years ago when we started fostering and adopting. And what's crazy about it is this. Yeah, we got to know them. Maybe we took the classes with them. Maybe one of the families did a respite for us. Great people. Very short interactions even, too. Like, it's not like best friends or something. But just connected, relationally connected, right? And 10, 12 years later, they're thanking us for, I don't know what, doing the foster care classes? and Because God has worked in their life, and now they're getting saved, and their families are getting saved, and their kids are getting saved. Because we were obedient when God told us to do foster care and adoption. Don't you guys get it? It's not just about us. It's about the lives that are all interconnected like a giant spider web. If you don't do it, there's all of these people that are going to be affected by your choices to not step out in faith. I need a drink. That was not in my notes. Okay. I have no idea where I am now. <laughs> God gave me this picture once. I might have shared this years ago. I forget what I share. But some of you guys know that I spent almost eight years kind of not being able to leave my house. I have two kids on the severe end of the spectrum. At the time, my daughter was still really young. Our son wasn't diagnosed yet, so I had a lot of littles. And then I had my daughter, Mara, who had all of these severe behaviors. And I threw, like, I was in a funk. I had the big pity party. Poor me, poor me. Like, it's not fair. Why do I have to live this life? And why can all these people do all these great things? And look, at they're in Disney, and they're at Myrtle Beach, and they're living it up over there. And I'm here. I can't even take my kids to the park because Mara will have a meltdown, and I'll carry her over my shoulder, and everyone will stare at me again. And so I'm in this season. And God gives me this picture. And it's a picture of me sitting at my kitchen table, the same house we live in now. And I'm sitting at the table, I'm all by myself, and my head's down, and it's like I'm crying, which was pretty much the position of my heart at that point, <laughs> like 
sad, woe is me. And so I see this picture, and in, in my dining room, sorry, I said kitchen, in my dining room, the door, the front door to our house is kind of right in that same room. And so I'm sitting at the table all by myself, kind of complaining to God. My head is down, I'm crying, and the front door cracks open. And it like kind of, I don't know if you guys have ever, our door does this all the time because it's broken. But like the latch clicks and it just, nobody's there, but it kind of just opens, right? And it's a beautiful sunny day. And I'm sitting at my table and I'm crying and I'm feeling sad for myself and poor me and I'm in this funk. And I never look up. And I just feel like God keeps saying, as I'm seeing kind of this image in my mind, he says, you have to look up. The door's open. The door's open. And I'm like, what, is, yeah, what, what does that mean? But I realized I was just so in this place of this pity and poor me and nothing's ever going to change that even when the season was shifting and God was changing things and he was allowing me to do more and more opportunity and, and my daughter was having improvements and all this stuff, I still felt like I was trapped inside because I'd grown familiar with, even though I didn't like it, because, right, comfortable doesn't always mean warm and fuzzy. I'd grown familiar with the life I knew, and I had just decided this is my lot in life. And I could, I could still go there. I could go home tomorrow. This is my lot in life. Well, me, I have two special needs kids that I'll have to raise for the rest of my life, and I'll never actually do anything for God. And, but you see, it's not the circumstance that changed. It's my perspective. It's the same for you. You keep waiting for the circumstance to change when Jesus is saying, you've got to change your perspective. The door's open and you're still wallowing, crying at your table. And I'm telling you, you can go. But going scary, isn't it? Like, I like my house. It's nice and warm and cozy when my kids are being good. It's not all the time. <laughs> the going is so scary. But the going is the only way we grow. You can love Jesus for 20, 30 years, and the knowledge and understanding you have of him will be like the size of a pea. If you don't experience him, there's a difference, right? I talked uh, a couple months back, I talked about the Holy Spirit. He leads us into truth. I just want to reiterate that. I love the Holy Spirit. Like, we can't do life without him because he doesn't teach me about truth. He doesn't show me the truth. He doesn't even like, ta-da, like lift off a, you know, a blanket and reveal the truth. He leads us in to truth. That means I have to go there. I have to do something. And when I do it, I experience something. And all of a sudden, I know an aspect of God or faith or whatever it is he's revealing to me that I could have never understood unless I was led into it and experienced it, right? Right? Like there's a difference between knowing about chicken pox and having chicken pox, right? There's a big difference. Then suddenly you understand more. It's the same thing with truth. There's a difference between knowing it here and experiencing it in my life. When I experience it in my life, it changes everything. God wants to do that in you. The problem is we think that there's these special unicorns. My daughter's obsessed with unicorns right now. That's where I, that word came to my head. She wants every unicorn that Walmart sells, all the stuffed animals, all the My Little Pony unicorns. But anyway, but we think that there's these special unicorns in Christianity. Like, wow, look at that. God used them. They can fly. They have a horn. Look at the rainbow. 
most of the time you don't know that unicorn's backstory, first of all, just saying. Secondly, they stretched out their hand. That woman with the issue of blood wasn't special, wasn't more deserving of healing than everybody else around Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, can you help me here? Hey, hey. She stretched. She reached out her hand. She just didn't care what anybody else saw, and she actually believed Jesus is going to meet me on the other side of this. And that's what he's calling every one of us to do, okay? Are your friendships in your life propelling you towards God or away from him? Have you got familiar in your friendships and your relationships? Is there an area in your life you've grown comfortable in? I'm sure there's an area in all of our lives, right? I'm going to share one more quick story, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, so when my kids, so I have five kids. At one point, three of them, four of them were in diapers, <laughs> Because my, my daughter has autism, and so she struggled for years to learn to use the potty. Um, and I still use the word potty all the time. Like I just told my, my you know, 15-year-old son, did you use the potty? And they're like, Mom, it's the bathroom. Stop. Anyway. So when my, my three youngest were small, like toddlers, we had three. At one point, we had three under the age of one, okay? Because I had a baby. We were fostering a newborn, and then... The newborn had a sister, and so anyway, it's not humanly possible usually, but it was possible. With all, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> so I had all these toddlers. I'm home all the time, and I'm just super stressed out. I went to a, I went with a friend for coffee because it's kind of escape the house. If you're a mom, sometimes you need to do that, and I believe it's holy <laughs> and just. Okay, and so I'm grabbing coffee with a friend, and she says this thing to me, and I'm co- I'm sure I'm complaining because that was the season I was in. Just complaining about, oh, my gosh, this happened, and then they took that diaper off, and then they smeared it on the wall, and then this happened, and then, yeah, whatever. I don't remember what I was saying. And she says to me something that I was like, oh, my goodness. It was rolling around in my head all night. She said, I love you so much, but you know, you did this to yourself. And I was like, She's like, well, I mean, you know, you're fostering and adopting, you know, fostering these kids that you're going to adopt. And then, oops, you got pregnant. And, like, kind of like, I know it's like you didn't plan it, but, I mean, you kind of made these choices. And I went home that night, and I wasn't mad. I just was, like, thinking, I did do this to myself. And I'm laying in bed, and it's kind of rolling around in my head. And you guys know what a masochist is? <laughs> that's, what's, that's what I'm thinking of. You don't know what it is, like, you know, masochist, like, back in, you know, I don't know. A long time ago, they would do weird things like lay on a bed of nails or whip themselves. And you'd be like, what is their problem? Because they thought they they were evil and they had to rid themselves of themselves. Please don't. That's not what this message is about. <laughs> so, but I'm laying in bed thinking, am I a masochist? Did I, am I doing this to myself? I'm making my life so hard. And so I'm praying about it and I'm thinking about it. And, and God just kind of says to me, I did this to you. And I, I was thinking about it a little bit more, and I was like, because every decision that we made, we didn't make it flippantly. It wasn't like, hey, let's foster and adopt. It was like three years of prayer and talking about it. And, like, so it very much felt like God led us to that, right? And so I'm laying in bed thinking, God, all, all of the decisions that I prayed about have led me here to this really hard place. 
And he's like, yeah, you didn't do this to yourself. I did this to you. I'm like, why? Because <laughs> I think you love me, right? Like, why would you do this to me? But the truth is this. God, that's next blank. I think it's right at the end. God will lead you to hard things. You don't have to go. <laughs> the next one is stop running from the hard things. That's what we do. That's too hard, right? People say to me all the time, oh, I love your heart for foster care and adoption. I can never do it. It's too hard. I'm like, yeah, you could. <laughs> it is hard, but you could. Okay, stop running from hard things. And this is the last one, and this one's the most important. Your inheritance is actually found in the hard things. Do you think it was easy for the Israelites to go back? They had to rebuild everything. They had to rebuild the cities. They had to re rebuild the temple. They had to deal with the, the people that were, the Jewish people that were still living there and fight over the land. And it wasn't easy, but they weren't looking about what was easy or what was hard. They were looking at their future, their inheritance, their kids, and their kids' kids, and their kids' kids' kids, and their kids' kids' kids, right? So if, uh, I guess they're already here, so worship team could want to come, and whoever wants to distribute, or whoever not wants to, whoever's assigned to distribute communion, that'd be fun. <laughs> We're going to take communion together <clears throat> with kind of some of these thoughts in mind, right? Because if anybody ever modeled a life that didn't run from the hard things, it was Jesus, Right? And you think, well, he's Jesus, he's perfect, he's God. No, the Bible says he emptied himself of all of his God authority and ability. And he humbly came as a man to show us how to live, right? So we can't use that cop out of, oh, he's God and he's perfect. He actually chose those hard things with his own free will. He chose to deny the comfortable and the familiar. He chose to go to the cross for us. And you might think, well, I'm so glad Jesus did that. Thank you. But I want you to realize that if you don't choose that for yourself, it's not just about you. It's about all of the other people that God has you connected to. Like, you can't lead them a place you're not willing to go. You can't see God work in their lives if you're not willing to step out in faith yourself. So if you guys want to stand, and you can come and just uh, don't eat it yet, but take a piece of bread and the cup and then go back to your seats and we will uh, take it together. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.